The passage is 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 28. I believe that you can find that this morning on page 250 in uh, the Pew Bible. I'm going to try to find it now in my Bible. Last week in chapter 28, we had encountered uh, David, the uh, king-elect. He is in a season of exile in Ziklag. That's a cool town to be from, uh, you know. Instead of Pembroke, uh, it's a pretty cool name, Ziklag. Uh, he's in a significant predicament, and uh, our narrator now is going to kind of, in essence, hit pause and uh, step out chronologically in order to highlight what is now uh, the king Saul, uh, who is the one chasing uh, and, and seeking uh, to kill uh, David. King Saul is what we find here. We're pivoting towards one uh, a season in his life. Actually, this is in the truest sense. King Saul is a royal mess, pun intended, uh, who finds himself on the last night of his life. And so he doesn't know that, but we know that. And uh, this is where we find it. It's an instance that we would like to say if we were there, we would probably be tempted to say uh, to King Saul, uh, you have made your bed now lie in it. And I think you'll know why that's the case. Hear this. We've already covered the first couple of verses last week. First Samuel 28, beginning verse three. This is God's word. Now, Samuel had died and all Israel had mourned for him. And buried him at Ramah, his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the necromancers out of the land. The Philistines assembled and came and encamped at Shunem. And Saul gathered with all Israel. And they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid. And his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, well, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, seek out. For me, a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, Behold, there is a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself, put on other garments, and went, he and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night. And he said, Divine for me by a spirit, and bring up for me whomever I shall name to you. The woman said to him, Surely you know that Saul, what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the necromancers from the land. Why then are you laying a trap for me? My life to bring out my death. But Saul swore to her by the Lord. As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, whom shall I bring up for you? He said, bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman said to Saul, why? Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a God coming out of the earth. He said to her, what what, what is his appearance? And she said, an old man is coming up and he is wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel. And he bowed with his face to the ground and paid homage. Then Saul, Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Saul answered, I am in great distress for the Philistines are warring against me. And God has turned away from me and answers me no more, either by prophets or dreams. Therefore, I've summoned you to tell me what I shall do. And Samuel said, why then do you ask me since the Lord has turned from you? And you and become your enemy. The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines tomorrow. You and your sons shall be with you. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines then Saul fell at once 
full length on the ground, filled with fear because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had not eaten any, nothing all day and all night. And the woman came to Saul. And when she saw that he was terrified, she said to him, Behold, your servant has obeyed you. I have taken my life in my hand and have listened to what you have said to me. Now, therefore, you also obey your servant. Let me set a morsel of bread before you and eat that you may have strength when you go on your way. He refused and said, I will not eat. For his servants together with the women urged him and he listened to their words. So he arose from the earth and sat on the bed. Now the woman had a fattened calf in the house and she quickly killed it. And she took flour and kneaded it and baked unleavened bread of it. And she put it before Saul and his servants, and they ate. Then they arose and went away that night. This is God's word. You may be seated. Thanks be to him. Let's ask his help. Father, would you ask right now that you would uh, give us aid, you would help us. Would you please uh, be in my speaking and in our hearing? Help us to receive right now your word uh, by faith and with gratitude. Moreover, I would pray that you would help us to receive it with a willingness uh, to surrender. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, this past week, <clears throat> I had to scramble uh, to find a ticket uh, because of canceled flights for, uh, for me to make it down to South Carolina for my grandmother's funeral. And I wanted to say thank you uh, for those of you uh, who have sent cards and have prayed for our family. And it was a very precious time. And, uh, and I thank you. On the way down there, I was uh, flying into Myrtle Beach, a direct flight. And when we landed, I knew what was going to happen. It was the inevitable pet peeve that I have. And that's the hurry up and wait uh, exercise that everybody insists upon doing. You know, as soon as the, 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 they, they reach the gate, it goes boom. And then everybody is lift off their, their belts and everybody stands up only to just stand there. I mean, you're going to be there for like another good five, ten minutes just standing there. You're not getting off the plane any sooner. Well, that didn't happen, though, on the, on the back of the plane, uh, because uh, soon after we had landed and we were reaching the gate, uh, a woman who uh, was right behind me began sobbing and sobbing and sobbing. And I turned around. And at this point, we had taken off our seatbelts and she is bent over uh, just sobbing. It, was, it wasn't clear at first, but it became clear she wasn't. Physically suffering, but emotionally, it was obvious she was in great anguish. And, uh, and you can make out through some of her sobs, she was saying uh, repeatedly, I, I didn't make it in time. I didn't make it in time. And, and, you know, it's just such a human response to just your eyes well up. And you're, it's just a heaviness that descends upon everyone around. You just feel helpless. And I began just muttering as we all stood there and looked at this woman I just began muttering, just is almost involuntary. It just came to my lips. Have mercy, Lord. Have mercy, Lord. Have mercy, Lord. And as she was weeping, this man, and, and as I said that, I, I caught eyes with a lady across the, the way, and she nodded at me as if she was saying amen. And I looked down, and she had a copy of God's word in her hand. And there was a man there, very tall man, and he had his hand, his gigantic hand, and he just placed it on this woman's back. And it just felt like the most natural, compassionate, human thing to do at that moment. And we were all just totally silent. Meanwhile, a lady who was right beside me, I was sitting in the middle uh, seat again, and uh, the lady who was in the window, rushed, wanting to rush to get out, was impatient, I guess, and started just tapping me on the shoulder. And I said, what? And she says, well, come on, when are we going to get on with this and get out of here? 
And I was so disturbed by this as I as if we finally made our way off of the plane and people continued to comfort this lady. I was just, you know, mulling this over, quite disturbed, thinking, how could this woman be so rude and so impatient? She just seems rather clueless to the solemnity of this very moment. It's almost a sacred moment. And she just is so inwardly focused that she's in a rush. I'm in a rush, too. I'm heading off to go to the funeral home to make it there in time to see my grandmother in an open casket. But I grieve with someone with hope. And I think about moments like this, and you, you too, and when things are devastating and troubling, and there's, there's, there's a weightiness that surrounds. And I think that it's natural for us to experience a helplessness. Some people experience it. We, we all have moments in life when we experience helplessness, and that's natural. And then there are times that people have a hopelessness, not a helplessness, but in that ho- helplessness, a hopelessness, which is far worse. And then there's some people that are just clueless, which is pitiful. And interestingly enough, when I read this account in this chapter, I think to myself, King Saul is just a strange mixture of all three of those things here at at the close of his life. And so to kind of work back through and retrace this account, I just have three things in this movement I want to highlight. The first is a dark request. They're listed there in the order. The second is a tragic answer. And then a final supper. You see this dark request, Saul's life, his story. If, if you look back, it began wonderfully. I mean, Saul was the popular kid at school, right? He didn't lack for any friends. He had plenty of attention. He was more handsome than anyone in the land. He was taller than anyone in the land. And he's been made the king, the first king of God's people, Israel. He has this dignified state. He went on to have great victories against uh, God's enemies and the people's enemies. And, uh, and, and things began so well for him. And in many instances, it seemed very clear that he wanted to honor God, that he wanted to follow the covenant of God. But something came unglued and unrailed, and he began to make foolish decisions. Now, I wish I could say they just were foolish, but they were rebellious. They were rebellious decisions. Early on, he compromised in his leadership. He followed He failed, I should say, excuse me, to follow God's clear instruction. And it's hinted upon when Samuel speaks here uh, from the grave to wipe out the Amalekites, the wicked Amalekites. God said to not spare at all, but he didn't. He kept some of the best for himself, the plunder, and he didn't do as God had said. And it was at the point that, that if you go back and you can read about it in 1 Samuel chapter 15, The audacity of Saul is that he begins to argue with God. He's confronted. He insisted he did do the right thing, but he did not. And it only confirmed and showed that Saul was the people's choice because he was like the kings of the other pagan nations. He showed and revealed that that Saul's heart was not truly aligned with God. And, And neither were the people's because they had rejected like he had rejected the true king who is Yahweh, the Lord God himself. First Samuel 15, I'll read it again for us. For rebellion is as the sin of divination and presumption is an iniquity of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he says this to Saul, he also rejected you from being king. Now that word there, divination, is what now is going to take place. It's the calling forth... Uh, divining of spirits, bring a practice of getting in touch 
with the spiritual realm. It's something that the Bible forbids. Uh, this is a work not of God's spirit. In essence, it's the, the you know it's dealing with evil spirits. There's a lot that goes on in the spiritual realm that we cannot see, uh, but this is forbidden, and that's what that's what mediums do is divination, and, and that's ironically where he ends up. Now, before I address what the mediums are, uh, do or are doing here, uh, I just want to highlight how it is that Saul ended up inquiring and in this predicament that he finds himself. The first reason or the first thing that kind of clues us into why he's in this predicament is that he is emotionally distressed. Verse 5, it says that the fear that he's experiencing, his heart trembled greatly. I'm sure this is, uh, this is physiological. It's, it's emotional. He's rather desperate. And I think it's going to get even more punctuated, uh, of course, when he encounters the prophet Samuel. But even before that, I guess you could say, for, for lack of better descriptions, Saul is freaking out. And then, and then the next thing that, that puts him in this predicament is just the, the practical relational problem that he's found himself in, which is this, verse 6. He's without access to the prophets and the priests. The prophets, uh, Samuel is gone. The, 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 the other prophet is with David. And then he, the, the Urim, I, you may not know what that is, and I don't either, except that there are stones that are mentioned used by the priests. To, uh, to convey some uh, element of God's uh, will, but, but that's not accessible because the priests are gone. And why are the priests gone? Because he killed them. That's right. In, in, in 1 Samuel, gold star for whoever said that, 1 Samuel 22, if you go back and read, in the, in the city of Nob, in his, in his, his revenge and, uh, and in his, his, his hatred for David and all those who would support him, he wiped out all 85 priests in Nob. So he has no priests. This is what you did, David. This is you. Spiritually, also, he's in a bad place because, as we read, he rejected God time and time again. Though David uh, himself inquired of the Lord and often listened, not always, Saul did not make it a practice of inquiring of the Lord and definitely not listening to the voice of the Lord. Saul, at this point, at this turn, is rather clueless. I mean, you, you want to say you cannot access the voice of God because, in essence, you've spent a great deal of time asking God to go away. And so that's what he's done. You've taken time and time again matters into your own hands. So go ahead and deal with it yourself, Saul. The irony is he swears against the Lord God that he won't harm this lady who's about to do exactly what's not God's will as a medium. Perhaps this is a cautionary tale. Maybe for us, right? I don't like that, that turn of phrase. It's not a tale. This is an account. This is a window that God has given us into history. And it is cautionary for us because why? Be careful what you ask for. If you intentionally or even indirectly push God aside, if you persist in that, you may get what you want. Which reminded me of a, a clever article I saw uh, this week, that the title of the article was The Three Worst Bibles You Already Own. The Three Worst Bible, Bibles You Already Own. I own a lot of different translations of the Bible, so I was curious what translations they were talking about. I was duped. Here they are. Here are the three worst Bibles you already own. The first one is the one you don't read. The second one is the one you don't know. And the third one is the Bible you don't obey. 
Friends, brothers and sisters, God is revealing. He is speaking. He is inviting. He is promising. He is warning. He is counseling. He is comforting us. Are you seeking him? Are you seeking his face? Are you listening to his voice? Again, I think this is where we see Saul's heart is exposed. You see, he didn't, Saul didn't really want to know the will of God. He wanted to know the plan of God so that he could encounter battle and know what to do. But he didn't want to know the will of God. The will of God was not secret. It was not, it was not ambiguous. It was not hidden to him. A long time ago, Saul could have and should have repented and turned and surrendered over and said, David is king. You're my king. This is God's will. And I confess and I'm sorry. He should have surrendered to God's will, but he didn't. I think there's another distinction that one commentator helped me with this week. And that's this. Right now, what Saul desires is the guidance, but he doesn't want the guide. Think about that. Think about that distinction. Saul thinks now he has no choice. He's he's helpless. He's on the verge of hopelessness. And so what does he do? Verse 7, he goes to a, a medium. This is where we get exposed to a tragic answer. My next heading. At one point, for us, the reason... Uh, it's, it's, it's obviously not tied to God, but Saul decides to adopt God's standard. And at one point, uh, he, he, he has, we are, we're told here that he had put, a, he had put aside the necromancers and the, the mediums and the, the spiritists. He, he, he was trying to at least give the impression that he was following God's way. It's, it's, not, it's, per, it's forbidden in Leviticus 19 that this should happen. Notice Saul cannot even though keep his own standard. He's desperate. He falls into the temptation. He seeks out this medium so he can get in touch with Samuel. By the way, a, a, a medium or a necromancer or the modern terms would be something of an alchemist, an alchemist or a, uh, one who practices uh, witchcrafts uh, or, or psychics. Sometimes even this episode in the Bible is referred to as the witch at Endor. There's a great deal that my friends have already highlighted this, but there's a great deal that is going on. Unbeknownst, not unbeknownst, but un, uh, you know, not, not to our sight that is going on in the spiritual realm. It cannot be seen. And sometimes it may seem uh, rather innocent, but seeking it out is not only fruitless, but it is indeed dangerous. And so let me be clear. Uh, the Bible doesn't say, hey, listen, this was a fool's errand because it wouldn't work, Saul. He doesn't say the Bible doesn't say, God, you know, l- listen, that's that's, you know. That's pointless because it doesn't work. That's not the point. It's not the, it's not the practicality of it. Yes, there are people who are psychics and necromancers and mediums that are charlatans and acted out. But sometimes they actually do things, know things, expose things. And where is the source of power behind that except the angel who parades around and masquerades as an angel of light who is actually darkness, Satan, and his demonic forces. So it's not that don't do that, it's silly, it's fruitless, it doesn't work. It's the fact that it is wrong, it is pagan, it is evil. Don't go there. You're messing with darkness. 
And it happens. It might even seem innocent that you're into, you know, what's what's the wrong one? There's astronomy and astrology. What's the bad one? Hopefully you know this already. Yes. So that, you know, superstition. It's, you know, it's it's whatever. Psychics. I even passed a psychic who set up shop less than a mile from my house on the way to church this morning. And you might say that's silliness and that's entertainment. And maybe indeed it very much is. But don't go messing with darkness. Some people might be fake, but some may not. You might say, well, this is completely irrelevant, Troy. I'm not even remotely inclined, even in my most desperate moments, to seek out uh, foolish things like that. Are you sure? And here's what I would say. Even as you violate your conscience and cross over into things that you know are not wise and are not in keeping with love for God. I ask you this. What do you do in the darkness of night? What do you do in those moments of despair? What is your secret place of refuge? Pastor Matt Owens and I were reflecting on this passage. He, he had a great insight. He says he, he posed these questions. I can't improve upon it. He says, do you justify in that refuge, in that despair, the temptation comes. Do you justify a few extra drinks since life has been rough lately? Or maybe you allow yourself to look at images on the Internet. Or maybe you turn to gluttony. Or maybe you run from a difficult relationship into your workaholism. Or maybe you allow yourself to spend like crazy to try to make yourself better. Maybe since things are hard in a relationship, you turn to an emotional connection in an inappropriate place. Perhaps it's self-pity. That's the reverse form of pride. Frederick Beekner talks about cravings like this when we're, we're in those moments of, of, of distress and despair. He says it's, the craving of sinful things is like a man dying of thirst in the desert, craving salt. Our sinful nature is such that we crave the things that actually do us more harm. You see, the woman here at Endor in verse 8, she doesn't recognize in the darkness of, of night and in his disguise the identity of Saul at first. But she's smart enough to know that there is undercover, you know, government uh, sting operatives that might expose her. And so he, she says, no way. She's assured by Saul, goes forward with it. The woman, of course, is surprised. Verse 12, it says, you know, in her shock, she cries out. I don't know why exactly. I could venture a guess. Maybe it's because this had never actually worked for her. She had, she had faked it, but now, here, behold, something actually is happening. I don't know. Maybe it's just that she's shocked that, you know, Saul is standing now in front of her and it's been revealed to her. That would be pretty scary enough reason to cry out as well because she might... Feel her life's in danger. Verse 15 then begins as Samuel is speaking, the dead prophet. The tragic answer. The tragic answer, Samuel only reminds him of what he's already said to him previously. In essence, in verse 16, God has turned from you. Saul could have, I said it already, he should have surrendered to God and God's anointed a long time ago. Again, God's will is not a profound mystery. He should have repented from his sins. But now she's say, he's saying, 
Samuel, you're going to die. And you're going to die, not at the hands of David, but at the hands of these enemies. Verse 19. And you will die, to summarize it all, without God and thus without hope. Well, the medium sees that he's distraught. He hasn't been eating. He's, she offers him this meal. She prepares what really is, in essence, a, king, a, a meal fit for a king. But he's no king now. And afterwards, we read here in verse 25, they go away. They, just like they entered, they, they go away into the night. And it only could help us hear the echoes of yet another meal, a last supper in an upper room. The host is not a medium. It's the Lord Jesus himself. And Saul has been exposed to be just like Judas. He knew the will of God. He knew the ways of God. He spent a great deal of time, but he betrayed the Lord. He's able to see God's word and God's power. And right now he's crying out with regret for mercy, but it's too late for Judas and here for Saul. Why? Because just like Judas, why has all this transpired? Because just like Judas, a demonic spirit has entered. What's the trajectory of that? What's the trajectory of sin? Sin leads inevitably to death. But it's even more darkness because both of them, Saul and Judas, take their own lives. So where's the hope? Well, the hope is this. After the supper, Jesus would go into a garden. He would feel this, the weight of these things. Ultimately, he would experience the cross. And although he's entirely innocent, without any blame, he has to endure the absence of his father, the silence of God, the wrath of God. It's Jesus who cries out. You think that Saul has it bad. Jesus is the one taking our sin and cries out. It's, it's, it's all veiled. It's, it's, my God, my God, Father, why have you forsaken me? And he does it. He endures it for us as sinners. He dies in our place so that we can enjoy communion and peace with God. Access. Un, 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 untethered, un, un, unhindered access to a heavenly father. Here's some takeaways. I can't tell if they're really two or three or but they're they're here. Okay, you ready? Listening? The first one is listen. Listen to God's voice and this to the point of surrender. There's an echoing phrase in Revelation 2. It's it's elsewhere in Revelation. It says this let him who has ear hear. Did you hear that? This is not a this is not a this is not a physical thing here. This is let him who has ear has ear. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Listen, if you've been tuning out to God, now today is a great time to re-engage. Don't, don't open God's word for guidance or to demonstrate some performance. Open God's word so that you can meet with the guide. 
You, you and I don't need more information. We need more communion. If you surrender to Christ, you are a son or daughter of God. You have new hope. You have new life. So that leads me to the next thing. First thing is listen, and that to the point of surrender. Second thing I would say as a takeaway is don't freak out. I think it's going to be maybe an easy one to remember, hard one to apply. I know that's kind of vague. It's kind of broad. But I want to bring it into focus. Listen, the first first thing I would say about not freaking out is this. The worst thing that could happen to you is that you would die. And that would be the best thing that could happen to you if you know Christ. The worst thing that could happen to anyone is not suffering. It's not trials. It's not setbacks. It's not rejection. It's not even death. The worst thing that could happen to someone is what happens to Saul, which is facing the silence of God, to be at enmity with God, and to be living in utter hopelessness. That's a game changer. Let me tell you, there's a, there's a helpful analogy that I heard Tim Keller use years ago. Uh, she says, Ima- imagine a, a woman who has $200. That's all she has to her name. She has $200. And she loans the $200 to someone. After a season of time, she's anxious. She's troubled, you know, a bit. Because, you know, what if I don't get paid back? She might even be freaking out. But the woman, let's imagine, who comes along who's worth millions of dollars has a different degree of peace and and calm in loaning those $200 to someone. Why is she not freaking out? Because she remembers who she is and what she's got. But how does a... How does a rich woman forget who she is and what she's got? She doesn't. But you do. And I do. If you are a Christian, surrendered in repentance and faith, united to Christ by faith, let me tell you, are things going wrong in your life? Well, of course they are. Are things going sour? Are you feeling helpless? Have you loved without getting love in return? Have people hurt you or wronged you? Are there people that are indebted to you? Are you freaking out? Do you want to know why? It's because you forgot who you are and what you've got. I I don't know any simpler, plainer way to say that. You are fully Known and loved by God, accepted in Christ, adopted into his family. Commentator Dale Ralph Davis puts it so well. Believer, put your trials in context. You may be exhausted from work. In fact, your employer may be giving you a raw deal. Dealing unjustly and underhandedly with you. You have lost your health or family troubles are now cropping up. The text here says there is something far worse. And that is what Saul is experiencing. He is closed off and shut off from God. 
Friends, our inheritance and our relationship with the living God is beyond what we could even possibly fathom. So to that extent, we can be content. We can take risks. We can walk with God with hope. We can hear his voice and we can keep things in perspective. And in the end, how does all of that compare? Whatever we give up for the sake of following Christ, it's so minute in comparison. What can we possibly lose in the now that even matters in view of the then, the fullness of glory and communion with the living God in Christ? Well, we're going to get a taste of that in a moment at this table. Last thing I want to say by takeaway is don't seek dark, selfish things. Seek the one who endured the darkness for you. Seek him. I'm saying this to myself, even as I say it to you. Let's pray. Lord, teach us, teach me, guide us. Not not only, Lord, to things like wisdom and hope, but to a deeper communion with you. Lord, I thank you for the Lord's prayer that we're going to say here in a moment. And just just the, the outline and the pattern it sets before us, that we would praise you, that we could call you Father, and that we could be sons and daughters. We do want your kingdom to come and your will to be done in us and through us, Lord. Lord, please, would you grant to us as a church family, as individuals, our daily bread physically, Lord, for people who are struggling with with elements and aspects of their work, would you meet them? People are looking for new work. Lord, I pray you would strengthen those today who physically are weak, facing chronic illness. Lord, I pray that you would sustain them. Extend your healing touch to them. Lord, I, I pray for children in our church. I pray especially for unborn children and the women who carry these precious ones. Lord, I pray today for parents in our church who have this high calling and their, their, their burden and they have unique challenges, I pray that they would have wisdom, that we would have wisdom from above. I pray that children in our church would, would be raised up to be oaks of righteousness for your praise and for your kingdom. Lord, I pray for people here in our church that care for elderly parents and others in our community that do that. Give them perseverance and compassion and wisdom. Lord, we thank you that you, you're willing to lead us not into temptation. And there are people here today because they are troubled and they are tempted to freak out that they're on the verge of sin and selfishness and self-pity and self-reliance and self-medication. Lord, I pray that you would meet them today. You would, you would comfort hearts and guide minds and steps into the will of you that our lives would be conformed more to the image of Jesus. For it's in his name that we pray, lift up all these things, even now, as he taught his disciples to pray, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name.